Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Coming up, the PPC effect in this week's election, the battle for the soul of the Conservative Party, and the perils of identity politics. The Andrew Lawton Show starts right now. Hello and welcome to another edition of The Andrew Lawton Show, Canada's most irreverent talk show here on Friday, September 24th, 2021, as the conservative civil war continues. We'll talk about that and some other things that are happening in the world in the next little while here. But I I do want to start with a little bit of an update on where things stand. There hasn't been too much movement in the seat count since Wednesday, but when we talk about these things, it's important to put them in the context of understanding the mail-in ballots just slow everything down. So even if the overall result was something that we knew pretty clearly, it does sometimes change individual ridings. Although what it's seeming like is like the mail-in ballots only really benefit the left. They're the ones that were really aggressively using the mail-in ballots. So it's not like you went to bed on Thursday night and woke up this morning and find it is a conservative majority because those uh, mail-in ballots came in and, you know, swung things in Toronto. Didn't work that way. If you were hoping it would, well, I have some oceanfront property in Saskatchewan to sell you. But I do want to talk a little bit about what's happening here. I spent a little bit of time on the show yesterday talking about, actually most of the time on the show yesterday, talking about the push to to have Aaron O'Toole recalled, in particular, the petition from Bert Chen, who's a member of the Conservative Party's National Council. I want to talk about the other side of that debate today with the creator of the counter-petition, Fraser McDonald. He'll be joining me very shortly here on the show. But let's delve into some of the numbers here, because when I'm looking at this, the PPC, and this was the party that we all wanted to watch, the party that in the week leading up to the election we thought could be a game changer, might even win a seat or two, the PPC got 5% of the vote. Now, this sounds low. It is tripling the votes they got last time, so certainly a win relative to 2019. And as I I can't remember if I mentioned it on this show or if I was being interviewed somewhere else and I mentioned it there or both, but I'll, I'll say it again, bear with me. This is an election in which every single leader thinks they won. Justin Trudeau thinks Canadians, uh, you know, returned him to Ottawa because they love what he's doing. Aaron O'Toole thinks conservatives were winning in the hearts and minds of Canadians. And PPC, Maxime Bernier, they think they won. The Green Party, eh, maybe not, but the Bloc, the NDP, everyone thinks they won. They So it's it's weird. I mean, if everyone can be this happy with their performance in Canadian elections, maybe we don't need to change the party that's in power because everyone can just feel like they emerged victorious even if they didn't. And I said this to Candace when we were doing our, our live election night show. I said, I, I have this old-fashioned view of things that a win is a win and a loss is a loss. And I, I don't have much tolerance for trying to spin losses as wins and wins as losses, which is what's happening now. Conservatives say, oh, well, Justin Trudeau didn't get his majority so he lost. Yeah, but he's still the prime minister. That's the whole point of the election. It's not just an ego boot. I mean, for some people it is, but it's actually about the results. So Justin Trudeau has another mandate, and it's very important that opposition parties work together to block that mandate if they aren't happy with it. The problem is that the NDP and Bloc are still likely to go down the road that they were walking down since 2019, which is signing that blank check for Justin Trudeau. So to go back to the PPC for a moment, 5%, everyone thought that they were going to be a bit of a game changer, and it's very likely they were a quote-unquote spoiler. 
in a couple of ridings in the sense that they may have gotten enough support from conservatives that conservatives were not elected. However, and there's a, a big, giant, flashing beacon of an asterisk here that I need to draw attention to. One of the big mistakes that a lot of people are making is assuming that a PPC vote would otherwise be a conservative vote. And this is a big assumption that, that is well-founded in some cases, but not in others. So in 2019, the People's Party was a protest vote against the Conservatives in a lot of ways. And that's not to say that every single PPC voter was a traditional Conservative voter. It's just to say that most were. And there are data to back this up. And anecdotally, it's something that I experienced just in talking to people. 2021 is a different ballgame. And again, for the Conservatives to have increased their vote share and for us to also see the PPC go up in support... It's pretty clear that the PPC had to be drawing support from elsewhere. And there are two places where this could have been. Number one is other parties. Number two, traditional non-voters. But that in and of itself is a bit of an interesting thesis because we know that voter turnout by and large is quite low. So it is entirely pro possible and probable that the PPC was drawing support from the Greens, from the NDP, maybe from the Liberals, and not just from the Conservatives. Now, it depends where. In, in rural Alberta ridings like, uh, oh, what's a good example here? Like uh, Fort McMurray, Athabasca, or Fort McMurray, Cold Lake, rather, where the PPC got, well, I think it was like 13 or 14 percent. Yeah, they were probably drawing from mostly Conservatives because you can see the collapse in some ways of the Conservative vote there. Conservatives still win with, you know, 55-60% of the vote in a lot of these ridings, but compared to 70-80% in the last election. So a lot of the conservative vote in rural Alberta, also in rural Ontario, Chatham-Kent, Leamington, Elgin, Middlesex, London, you get support that you could kind of see bleed from the conservatives to the PPC. But in urban ridings, in elsewhere, in Edmonton, for example, in suburban parts of the country, when the PPC was getting, in some cases, 5, 6, 9, 10, maybe more percent of the vote, this is not something you can just say, oh, yeah, those are all conservative votes. Because this is what's happening right now, is you've got some people looking at close races where, oh, the conservative lost to the liberal by, you know, only 1,000 votes, and the PPC got 2,000 votes, ergo, uh, they split the vote and ruined it for everyone. First off, no one has put forward a list of these ridings that would actually, it, assuming that all of them would have been conservative otherwise, which I don't believe, that wouldn't have made a difference in the overall result of the election. The number of seats that the conservatives needed to dethrone Justin Trudeau is not something that you can say the PPC took from them in a, in a riding by riding level. Now, here's the, the part I would actually say the PPC did do some damage on, though. The PPC sucked a lot of the oxygen out of the race on things that the Conservatives could have been leaders on, I think. When it came to standing up for civil liberties, standing out against lockdowns, these are issues for which there is a large coalition, left and right, especially small business owners. And I do think the conservatives could have taken a leading role in that. Whereas the PPC was kind of positioning itself as being the only party set apart from the pack on a lot of these things. And you can say they're right or wrong. I am not into this. I'm, I'm trying to be analytical about this rather than making an endorsement. But the whole point is the PPC was saying all the other parties are over there. We're over here. 
And over here had a large enough group because of a combination of people who are against vaccine mandates and vaccine passports. In some cases, people who are just against vaccines, other people who are just really anti-lockdown because they've, they've had enough of it all after two years to flatten the curve. So that was one of the big things. And, and you know, it's difficult to quantify that support because you don't know, like I mentioned yet, and we could certainly try to find some data on this, how many PPC voters would have voted conservative or how many people stayed home because they thought, well, you know, the PPC is not going to win. I don't see a home in the conservatives or the liberals and and that's that so these are some of the questions and i maintain that the conservatives needed to have and did not have a strategy to deal with their right flank aaron o'toole was not wanting to engage on the ppc question in the last week of the campaign i was actually at a press conference of his the election was on a monday i was at a, a press conference on the friday because he was actually in in london where i live and i went there and, and uh, journalists were asking Journalists were asking about the PPC, and he was saying, oh, Justin Trudeau wants you to vote for smaller parties, but the only way to get rid of him is to vote for me. So he was appealing to that strategic voting mindset the conservatives have traditionally rejected, but he wouldn't even use the PPC's name. He wouldn't even say the name of the party, and when called on that, he said, oh, I don't want to give them free advertising. But I think it was the last or second last day of the campaign, he had finally changed that. And he actually was telling people directly, don't vote PPC. But you need to have a better reason if you're four weeks into the campaign, almost at the end, and you've lost this large chunk of voters. You need to have a better reason than, well, we, we have to get rid of Justin Trudeau. And, and I don't know what the strategy was to deal with that side. I maintained that the Conservatives could have been more anti-lockdown. There was a void in Canadian politics for people to stand up and not be pandemic deniers. They don't need to do that. They could say, yes, it's real, but lockdowns are not the way out of this, which is a position taken very re realistically and reasonably by leaders around the world, but they didn't do that. So as a result, if it came down to a pandemic election narrative, it was just about, all right, well, do we vote for these guys that believe the same thing or these guys who believe the same thing as these guys? And that's not to say that all the parties are identical. I don't believe that. I do believe there are fundamental differences. But on that issue, which was a ballot issue for a lot of people in a pandemic election, there was obviously going to be a need, I think, and an opening for a party that was going to speak up and say something different than the others. And that's where I think the conservatives could have and certainly should have prepared for attacks against the right. Now, whether that would have changed the election, I'm not sure, but it certainly is relevant to how the conservatives and how Aaron O'Toole specifically move forward. Because right now, Aaron O'Toole is fending off mostly attacks from his right in the party. Now, not exclusively. There are some people that are very conservative that are just saying, listen, I like Aaron O'Toole. I respect him. I want him to stick around. I want us to build off of this. But a lot of people that also feel like when they were supporting Andrew Scheer, they got stabbed by the same people that put O'Toole in. So there seems to be a bit of payback. And we spoke about this yesterday with Jonathan Van Maren. But I do want to give some light to both sides of this debate, because this is highly relevant to the conservative movement in Canada, not just the conservative party. So I want to bring into the show Fraser McDonald. He is the creator of the I Support Aaron O'Toole petition, which was launched not long after the one we spoke about yesterday, calling for a recall of Aaron O'Toole. Fraser McDonald joins me now. Fraser, good to talk to you. Thanks for coming on today. Pleasure, Andrew. Nice to chat as well. 
Uh, so let's first off, you had admitted off air, and I don't think it's uh, it's it's pulling the rug up from under you to share this. That this was not meant to be this large, orchestrated, well-funded campaign. It was something that you just did because you wanted to say, "Yeah, we've got to be back, Aaron O'Toole here." Yeah, you're. Uh, you know, I find our party has this terrible um, uh, addiction to going after its own, and uh, you know, for lack of a better term, knifing party leaders. And you know, I didn't love the way that Andrew Shear was treated on the way out the door last time, and I just think I, I worry that the disappointment from the results of this election will cause us to make a a mistake here. I think Aaron O'Toole should remain the leader, and uh, I'm going to put my name out there and, and ask other people to do the same thing. Is the message that you think Aaron O'Toole should remain the leader because of qualities that Aaron O'Toole embodies, or is it more fundamental that you think a conservative leader should get more than just one kick at the can to go up against Justin Trudeau or, or any opponent? Well, it's both. I mean, first of all, I think I think Aaron is a good leader. I think he's done a good job. He still has things to improve upon, obviously, because we didn't win. But I think he is the man for the job, and I think he will finish the job next time if uh, if we're smart enough to keep him around. I don't think anyone automatically deserves a second chance. What I would say is, is there room to grow, and do we have evidence that uh, that they can get where they need to get to? And I believe we do. There, there's a double standard that some people have pointed out, and, and this could work in either direction, depending on how you argued it. With Andrew Scheer, he brought Trudeau down to a minority, increased the conservative seat count, and, and still had to go. With Aaron O'Toole, we don't really see the gain a lot. Or Let me clarify, a lot of people are saying there isn't a gain there that can really be granted to him a, a sort of a victory. And I'm curious what your thoughts about that line of argument on this was. Yeah, I don't agree with uh, much of that argument. I would say these are completely different elections. And, you know, having been in the trenches on this election, I can really I, I, I can speak from good experience, um, both, you know, watching how it unfolded behind the scenes, but also as a person who was outdoor knocking uh, pretty much every day for the last month and a half. Uh, I, I think I have a pretty good insight into what people are, are thinking out there. And you know, what I would say is there were just some enormous headwinds here. I mean, Justin Trudeau called this election assuming he had a majority in the bag. This was not some neck and neck election at the beginning. He had the upper hand. He had all the levers and he decided to go for it because of what he saw. And so while you might say this is uh, apologism saying that, uh, you know, we, we came to a stalemate and that's I don't I wouldn't call it a win. I would call it doing reasonably well in the circumstances. It was a really tough election. I think uh, in the last election, the PPC was a non-event, and this time they weren't. They they ha there was a lot of uh, angry people that were moving over to them, and I just think the the framing of the election and the framing of the issues uh, with the help of the mainstream media was really favorable to Justin Trudeau, and we kept him to a kept him to a minority, and I think we're going to keep him on the ropes here if we let our leader do his thing. But don't you think that Aaron O'Toole has to own a bit of that PPC rise in that he didn't really seem to have a plan for defending against it? And even in the last week of the campaign, wasn't really prepared to address that it was a thing and, and make an appeal beyond, well, we don't want to split the vote. Well, look, I think that's one of the questions that needs to be answered in a fulsome postmortem that the party needs to do. And the leaders agreed to do that. So I would like to see more data on 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 that and also hear from them about what uh, why certain decisions were made uh, to address the needs and concerns of those voters. Um, what I would say is there's a certain you know, right now vaccines are a lightning rod issue. And 
our party is uh, has a wide range of views on how uh, the vaccination issue should be addressed. And Trudeau threw a grenade right in the middle of our tent. And I think, quite honestly, that his strategy was to let us split in half. And Aaron O'Toole held most of the conservative movement together, not all of it. And uh, and I think we got to figure out how to hold all of it together. But he held most of it together. And I don't think we should underplay that accomplishment. Well, the other thing I would say is, you know, we we fell short in the overall result and we fell, fell short in certain key regions. But, you know, we went up in Ontario, we went up in Quebec. And I think as the leader pointed out, I think there was uh, 15 or 20 seats that are within 2000 votes. So we are right there knocking on the door. And I think, uh, you know, the the economic trouble that's coming for Trudeau and I think inevitably with liberals, the um, accountability and, and ethics issues that are going to inevitably arise are going to keep them on the ropes. And so the last thing we want to do as conservatives who are concerned with governing is head into a party civil war that's going to be divisive and let Trudeau off the mat. Let's keep him on the ropes. Keep fighting him. Carbon tax uh, perceived as a flip-flop, firearms flip-flop in the middle of the campaign, conscience rights. These are, are three issues that have not sat well with a lot of people in the base. The carbon tax one is one of the items listed in the initial petition to recall Aaron O'Toole, the one put forward by National Councillor Bert Chen. When you have this frustration from groups that do make up a significant part of the conservative base, and in general just from conservatives, how does Aaron O'Toole hold on? to his leadership? How does he hold on to his legitimacy when you have people pointing to a few, not just a general frustration with losing, but a few very specific things that they feel amounted to betrayals? Well, I think you, at the end of the day, you have to trust that the leadership team is going to put together a plan that can appeal broadly to all Canadians and get us in a position to win a majority government. This is not just about eking out a win. This is about getting to that 38, 40% that we need to win a majority government. And the reality is Canadians want a serious, credible climate change plan. And I know that there are some in our party and our movement that don't agree with that. Um, and I, I, I don't know what to tell them other than, you know, the, the voters have been very clear on that issue. And I think we've found a way to, uh, in a way that's fair to Canadians and is not punishing rural Canadians. Um, and I think it's an improvement on the Liberal plan. And and, uh, and we should uh, embrace the type of party leader that's willing to change the party and move it forward. But, cha I mean, changing the party, though, those terms will not sit well on their own with people because you've got a lot of members of the conservative base that say, OK, you know, yeah, we want to win and we obviously want to expand the base and respect that we're a big blue tent. But they don't want the party to be changed in a way that leaves them out of it. Uh, well, and, I, and, and frankly, I think the, the polling would show that that's not what happened. I think people, uh, by and large, of the of a conservative persuasion may have not loved every element of the plan, but still voted conservative. I think the conservative base is still intact. We won the popular vote. Um, you know, voter turnout was down significantly, so it's hard to look at raw vote numbers. But we won the popular vote, and we increased our percentage of the vote in Ontario and Quebec. So. You know, it was a, a tough election and we wanted to win and uh, it's always going to be disappointing when we don't. But I, th I don't think it's fair to say that that's, a, you know, a lightning rod issue that caused us to lose. 
since you brought up just being at the doors and, and canvassing with your candidate for the campaign you managed, what were the biggest reasons or what was the biggest reason given to you by non-supporters, people who said, yeah, I'm not voting for you? What was it that you saw on the ground wasn't resonating with people? Uh, I think the challenge the Conservative Party has and um, that Aaron O'Toole's got to figure out an answer to is they just there, there are certain groups that just don't trust us yet. We haven't earned their support. We're close. We were in the mix. And there were all kinds of, you know, the the undecided voter. And I think in the end, too many of them swung back to the Liberals. And what I would say is, you know, Aaron O'Toole was uh, elected leader of the party only a year before the writ dropped. And the whole year he was in was during a pandemic, much of which, which was full lockdown. So his ability to introduce himself to Canadians and get his message out and show people what the party is all about under Aaron O'Toole's leadership was very limited. And I think considering all of that stuff, he, he actually did a great job. And once people got to know him in the election, all of his numbers started to go up. So I think more of that and, you know, God willing, uh, less lockdown society over the next year or two will give him the runway to show what he's all about. And I think by and large, Canadians have liked it so far and will like him and warm up and continue to warm up to him. Uh, so I think a lot of it is just more time and more getting people comfortable with uh, what we're all about. I think people held their nose to vote for Trudeau this time because they weren't quite there with conservatives. And we need to keep getting out there and showing them that we are the best party and, and uh, for, for their interests and that we're, we've got their back. Yeah, unfamiliarity tends to be a big hurdle for conservatives to overcome. And, and you can look at a number of reasons for that. Mainstream media's branding and maligning of, of conservatives being uh, probably pretty high up on that list. So a very valid point. The petition at change.org. I support Aaron O'Toole, Fraser McDonald, conservative activist and former campaign manager joining me now. Fraser, good to talk to you. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it, Andrew. Nice to see you. That was Fraser McDonald. And I should say, it's not just a, a couple of activists and a national counselor. There's even a at least one caucus member who seems very frustrated with Aaron O'Toole. Uh, two reporters, Mercedes Stevenson with Global and John Paul Tasker with CBC, on the same evening last night had shared eerily similar conversations they said they had with a, an unnamed conservative caucus member who proactively reached out to them and I'll, I'll quote from John Paul Tasker's story here. He campaigned as a liberal. He wasn't even liberal light. He campaigned as a liberal with no input from caucus or the party or anyone else. And it simply didn't pay off. And, and this candidate said, I didn't even know what we were running on until I saw him on TV. He took a risk and it didn't pay off. Now, this is again an unnamed conservative caucus member, presumably a reelected member of parliament. But the reality is frustration coming from inside the House. Now, I don't know how many people are here. Other caucus members, including very high-profile ones, have spoken out in support of Aaron O'Toole, including some social conservatives. Leslin Lewis put out a lengthy statement in which she said that she wants Aaron O'Toole to hang around. She said she didn't like what the party did to Andrew Scheer, and she doesn't want it to repeat the mistake with Aaron O'Toole. Garnet Jenis, another very prominent social conservative, he's been on this show numerous times, has said that the party needs to stand behind Aaron O'Toole. 
He says conservatives should stay united, defend our principles, and remain focused on giving Canadians better government. We must learn the lessons of the election, share constructive feedback, and remain united behind Aaron O'Toole. And also Michelle Rempel. Now, not a social conservative, but again, someone from a different aspect of the party, someone from Alberta, who says we should stay united. Now, I note that Michelle Rempel garners comments didn't come across as a ringing endorsement of Aaron O'Toole specifically, but she did speak out very firmly in support of the idea of unity and continuity. And I actually want to read this because I don't want you to feel or I don't want to be misrepresenting it. She said six weeks ago, everyone in the country said the conservatives would be wiped out. Instead, we held and built We have a younger caucus with more women and regional diversity, a renewed mandate to work in Parliament and address challenges. She says she's looking forward to contributing to a review of the party's campaign. There are things that need to change, but a lot to build on. And she says, I take Aaron O'Toole at his word that he will do this, and I will contribute to that process. And she talks about turmoil following 2019, the loss of goodwill, which had to be rebuilt during a pandemic. And she says, I'd prefer to address concerns, move forward, and show Canadian stability in a ready-to-govern party than doing that again. So that's her perspective on this. That Again, I, I'm not saying she's undermining Aaron O'Toole, but she's not saying Aaron O'Toole is great, rah, rah, rah. She's just saying, yeah, we did some good stuff. We've got to build on it. And he says he's going to review things, which he does say. So I believe him and I take him at his word and, and let's do that. So we, we've got different aspects of the party here, social conservatives, uh, others, Westerners that are saying, yeah, we, we've got to hold the line. The question will be who wants to speak up vocally from within the caucus to say Aaron O'Toole has to go. Because right now, yeah, there's this change.org petition, but there isn't really anyone that's leading the charge saying, yeah, we've got to unseat Aaron O'Toole. And and part of the reason for that is that the people that stand to gain from that are those who would run for leadership in his absence. But those people don't want to have to shoulder the backstabbing, treasonous allegations that will come if they're the ones that stick the knife in. So I think everyone who wants O'Toole gone is probably waiting for someone else to make the first move so that they can jump in. And even with Andrew Scheer, a lot of the calls were not coming from within caucus. They were coming from groups outside of caucus within the conservative movement. And then you had that steady leak of stories like expenses and and all that other stuff that were really just there to try to just force him out. And just to go back to a recurring theme here on the show for a moment about the media, you can do all you want to bend over backwards and say, no, 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 we're diverse, we're this and this, and we're not your father's conservative party. The media is not interested in anything like that. Another uh, John Paul Tasker story here from CBC. After Monday's vote, the Federal Conservative Caucus will be 95% white. And one of the reasons for this is that some of the visible minorities who are in the Conservative caucus have been ousted, like Alice Wong and Kenny Chu and Jag Sahota. And and Kenny Chu is an interesting one to watch here because he has been speaking out against what he believes was Chinese interference. The Conservatives have lost a lot of very heavily Chinese ridings that they've had. And there is some speculation so far that this might be because of influence campaigns that could be linked back to the Chinese Communist Party. Now, again, something to look into when you see anomalies in ethnically Chinese writings that have traditionally been strong writings for conservatives. 
I think it's something to look into. But, I mean, this accusation that, oh, the Conservative caucus is so white now. I mean, sure, diversity is a great thing to have. I I don't think it's something that you need to put above other areas of interest and focus, which is why conservatives mocked Justin Trudeau's gender parity cabinet. Not because they're against having half a cabinet made of women, but because everyone should be chosen based on whether they are the best for the job. But it's entirely impossible even if you have 50% minorities, 50% women, whatever the breakdown is of candidates running, you don't get to choose who Canadians vote for. So I, I'm, I'm not clear what the point is of trying to look at the Conservatives right now and say, ah, oh, well, they have uh, too many white people. Are they saying that the voters should have reelected all the Conservative minority candidates? Is that the, the implication? I'm, I'm sure the Conservatives would love that. Yeah, we, we should have more seats just because then our caucus would be more diverse. But it's, it's just ridiculous here that you can go down this road time and time again. No matter what the Conservatives do, the narrative is the same. The narrative is the same. Doesn't matter what they say or do. The story's already written. Yeah, I mean, it's based on the premise that conservatives are racist. That's the thrust of the story here. And it doesn't matter if it's true or not. All they'll do is throw up a lot of these stats and say, oh, well, 95% white in the conservative caucus. Okay, so tell the voters they made a mistake or is the conservative party to blame? They fielded minority candidates and obviously they all wanted to win. So, but this is the problem with identity politics. Eventually you stop talking about anything else that matters and it all just becomes this one-upsmanship about these numbers and stats that don't actually have to do with competence in the political sphere. We've got to end things there. My thanks to all of you for tuning into the program today. Lots more of Canada's most irreverent talk show next week. Thank you, God bless, and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to the end Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.